Amen. One more time. Guys, thank you so much for the worship team. Y'all did such a great job. Well, welcome to uh, Watts Ferry Road, and I have the prettiest scripture reader, and so uh, we're going to let her do our reading for us this morning. Avalyn, read for us, please. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must... Hmm? Okay. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. John 10, 14 through 16. Thank you, Thank you so very much. Avalyn, you did awesome. First of all, you did awesome by the fact that you're willing to get up here. Do you know how many people won't come stand up here? Then there are some of us who stand up here all the time that they can't get down. So uh, you, you did fine. You don't worry about that right there at all. You did great. Thank you so very, very much. Well, uh, just a reminder of our... Uh, uh, blood uh, truck out there uh so uh, if you get a chance to go out and and share that uh, they won't take my blood for some reason or another and so i think too many foreign countries too quick a, a thing happening there with mine but uh please go give it helps helps a lot a lot of folks uh turn to john chapter 10 just to remind us a little bit about the book of john it's written to cause people to believe in Jesus, that's why the, that's why he does what he does. So as we uh, tackle this chapter, uh, uh, I'm going to be skipping the first ten verses because Tommy is going to deal with that next week in a special lesson. And so, uh, uh, Tommy, I'm going to try my best not to jump on to your stuff, okay? Uh, so, uh, but I do preach before you, so I can't make any promises. By the way, it is so good to see so many fo- uh, folks here, and uh, I was uh, meeting and greeting some people over in the uh, uh, Fellowship Center. Guys, in the Fellowship Center, give us a wave. Let us know you're there. Can you shout Jesus like Kurt does? I, I heard I heard some right there. Okay, great. Uh, I'll tell you, it's a great blessing just to be together as a family. And uh, as one in Christ. And so there's a lot of, lot of great things going on here at Watchfair Road in trying to reach folks for them to become the sheep that the Good Shepherd takes care of. So in John chapter 10, as Avalon just read, he makes this claim, I am the Good Shepherd. Remember, he's already said, I am the bread of life. And he said, I am the light of the world. And now he says, I am the good shepherd. So we're going to take a look at the shepherd. We're going to take a look at the enemy a little bit. We're going to take a look at the sheep, the characteristics of those folks. We're going to take a look at the questions that the Pharisees have at the end of this and their answer. And uh, yes, we're going to finish the entire chapter, uh, believe it or not. So grab a hold of something and hang on, okay? 
Uh, let's do a little bit of reading again. Chapter 10, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life, it says it again, for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And at these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said he's demon-possessed and is raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They remembered what happened in John 9, didn't they? These lingering Pharisees, they had a good memory there on that part of it. They remembered that he had opened the eyes of the, the blind. Let's talk about this section of Scripture for just a little bit. very first thing you notice right off the bat the, the, about the shepherd is that he lays down his life for the sheep. And by the way, he says he does this of his own accord. He does this of his own authority, of his own power. In John chapter 19 and verse 10 through 11, the Bible says this when Pilate is getting ready to uh, uh, to, to, to uh, pronounce the crucifixion can take place. Jesus says, do you, uh, Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. This word for power is the same word in John 10 when he says, I have the authority. It's the same exact word. I have the authority to take, lay it down. I have the authority to bring it. You have no power. You have no authority except God gives that to you. The authority lies with the shepherd. And he lays down his life for the sheep. Why? Because he loves us so dearly. There is no atonement for sin without death. And it was the death of the Lamb of God. The good shepherd became the lamb that paid the price for me. And he did it willingly. You remember in other situations, he said, Look, I, I, I could call down legions of angels. If I wanted to, if we wanted to take this thing by force, it could happen. That's not how he works. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I think sometimes we say that so often and we read it so much that we don't pause and really think about the greatness of that sacrifice. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, laid down his life. That was a rare thing for a shepherd to do. Yet the good shepherd did it for you and for me. Now, he not only lays down his life, the next thing you see is that he knows the sheep. The shepherd lays down his life, and second, he knows them. And look how he says he knows them. It's an intimacy that's akin to him and the Father knowing one another. Now, how well does Christ and the Father know each other? 
See, two persons, one essence. They're there. There's unity there. There's strength there. And so Jesus says that I know you. Now, I tell you, a lot of times I know that you think someone doesn't really know you really well. And I've had people, I've, I've offered people a compliment before and they say, well, yeah, but you don't really what? Know me. You don't really know me. And so sometimes we have that idea that people don't really know us. The idea of knowing is not an intellectual understanding of who you are, but it's an intimate relationship that you have. And so when, when Jesus says, I know my sheep, he's not talking about, I can just call them by name. There's my sheep, Tommy, my sheep, Rick, my sheep, John. It's not just that, although he can do that. But it's a relationship. It's a personal relationship with Christ. He knows you inside and out. And he knows every weakness that you have. And he knows every strength and every talent and every fault. He knows it all. And yet... He laid down his life for me. Sometimes I look and I think about the things I've done or thought in, in my own life, and I think, how could he love me? How could he know me? How could he know me that well and still love me? How could he know my rebellious nature and mistakes and still love me? But he does. He lays down his life for the sheep. He knows the sheep. I'm reminded of Isaiah 40, verse 11. It's one of my favorite scriptures. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently, he gently leads those that are with young. He carries them close to his heart. This is the knowing and a relationship, an intimacy that only the shepherd can have. He lays down his life. He knows them. And he unites them. He says there are other sheep out there. And I'm going to pull them in. Now. Think about this for a minute. Are, are, are you a jealous sheep? You're like the Lord. Those don't belong. And you know. I mean I've seen them. I mean. I, we ain't bringing them into this group are we? That's a little bit of what was happening there. I mean, the Jews that followed Jesus and understood he was the Lamb of God, they are a sheep. Now, all of a sudden, he's going to reach out and bring all these Gentiles in? Why, don't you know how they live? They'll run everything. But Jesus says, I must pull them in. And this is the beauty of it. He says, they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Just one. So Jesus unites us in him. In him we're united in Christ. People who believe in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they put their faith and belief in the shepherd. They're united into one body of people. Oh, that we could understand the importance of unity. It hurts us so bad in the church. When people fight and squabble and argue and treat each other like enemies. When God's son laid down his life that we could be one. Next time that critical word comes up in your mouth about a brother or sister. Remember how much God loves them. And brings all of us together in unity. And then he says another thing about them. He says in verse 28 and 29 of John. He says of John 10. He says that he keeps them. 
Now, this is really interesting because he describes the, the sheepfold as someone that he not only died for, that he knows, has a relationship with, that he pulls together with other people who, who believe in his name, and he has the ability to grab them and hang on to them no matter what. And I love this idea that the strength of his grip is greater than your greatest weakness in life. Have some confidence in God. Have some confidence in the shepherd. The strength of his grip is greater than your greatest weakness. Now look, I said your greatest weakness. I didn't say it's greater than your rebellious heart. Remember the story of the prodigal son? A rebellious heart. That son left the house. Went out to the wild living. Matter of fact, the father considered him dead and lost. And when he comes back, he says what? He was found and alive again. Aren't you grateful for opportunities to come back to the Father? Rebellion? Yeah, that exists sometimes. But in terms of just weakness as a sheep, God's grip, Jesus' grip is firm. Your being okay with the shepherd is not based upon your strength to grab hold of. It's based upon the grip of God. He keeps them. And no one can snatch them out of his hand. Well, let's look at the enemy for just a minute. Because he mentions this enemy, he says, then the the wolf will attack the flock and, and scatter them. This enemy, the wolf. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31, some elders there are told about wolves. They're encouraged by Paul. They say, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he taught or bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, what Paul says, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Two ways, the two things you need to understand about the wolf or the enemy. He works through intimidation and he works through imitation. First, this this idea of intimidation. Look, this guy doesn't get in the flock by the gate. He's crawling over the wall like thieves and robbers do that he mentions earlier in the text. And so he intimidates people. But he gets right in there among the sheep, and not only does he intimidate them, he imitates them. It looks like he's one of them. Matter of fact, Jude says people accept him, he looks like they belong, but they're just they're clouds without rain. They don't produce anything good. They look good, but nothing good comes out of them. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert, pervert the gospel of Christ. And he goes on to say, let them be accursed. Let them be accursed. Don't let people pervert the good news of the gospel of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, the story of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And so they were being pulled away from people within them. And the warning is still true of us today. We must remain focused on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Do not get carried away by every wind of doctrine that comes your way. 
Don't do it. The wolf will come in among and he'll try to pull you out of that community and try to say that community is not right with God. I'm telling you, that's a wolf's intimidation. That's a wolf's imitation. He likes to claim he's right with God. But when you tear back the mask off him, what you see is someone that's perverted the gospel of Christ. Don't give in to the enemy. What about the sheep? What do we know about them? Well, a few simple things. Verse 16 and 27, they listen. Now, I'm not, I don't claim to have always been a good listener. I mean, I'm sure my wife could come up here and probably tell you specific times I've not listened. But we're not going to let that happen if we can get out of it. Typically, we don't listen because we don't pay attention. We don't think it's important. Jesus says, his sheep, they listen to him. You've been listening to him this week? Have you read his words and seen and, and, and experienced his challenges from his word? Have you listened to what he wants to do for your life? He said they listen. I remember one time my mama told me, by the way, so, so many of you have asked about my mom since she's, she's had the, the virus, the COVID virus. And so, by the way, she, she's doing, she's, she's 90 plus years old and she's doing fine. And she gets out of isolation. I think it was yesterday she got out of isolation. So I guess she tested negative. I don't know. I don't get a lot of information from my brothers. It's just like, yeah, she's better. I mean, I'm like, okay, do you have any more information there? Yeah, but so she's gotten out. She's went the extended time and uh, all that. And so many of you have prayed for her. I want to say I appreciate that. She gave me some advice one time, and uh, this is what she said. uh, You have two ears and one mouth. You ought to listen twice as much as you speak. That's pretty good advice. They listen. The sheep follow, verse 27. They enter by the gate, verse 9. Verse 10 of chapter 10, they enjoy life. He said, I've come to you, might have life and have it to the fullest or have it in an abundance. One man said, life with a big L, capital L. And they depend upon the shepherd. They know he's the one that provides for them. Well, let's talk about the Jews' question and Jesus' answer for just a little bit in this next section. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jews gathered around him. Now, before we go any further, let's, let's think about where and when this happened. So, he's in Jerusalem, and this is called the Feast of Dedication. Now, we've, we've experienced some other feasts, right? Feast of the Tabernacle, a couple of chapters earlier. And so uh, there's a lot of biblical feasts, but this is not a biblical feast. This was not one designed back in the Old Testament. This came about as a result of something that happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament, those hundreds of years that happened in between that. This feast was of dedication was developed. It was, uh, it was a king, uh, see if I can get this name right, Antiochus Epiphanes. So if you're out there today expecting a child and want to consider some names, I, I don't know. Maybe that one will fit. Antiochus Epiphanes. He's a king. 
and he hated the Jews. So he captured Jerusalem and he killed between 80 and 100,000 Jews to try to eliminate Judaism. He desecrated the temple and the altar by offering a pig on the altar to his god called Jupiter. Then there was a revolt. And this patriot of the Jews, Judas Maccabeus, led this revolt. And he restored the temple worship, a cleansing of the temple, and dedicated it back to God. getting it back on track. So out of that came the celebration of that dedication of the temple. And most of us would know that today by the holiday that the Jews celebrate called Hanukkah or Feast of Lights. They would hang lights inside their homes for eight days during these during a particular time in winter and and have a celebration of the of the dedication of the uh, of this feast because the temple has been restored. So that's the context. And so they're in Jerusalem, this feast is going on and they're in Solomon's Colonnade. Now, Solomon's Colonnade was this big porch. It had a big roof on it. And people would gather there to get out of the weather and out of the wind. And it's where most folks gathered up. And so this is where Jesus finds himself among the people again, teaching them. But now here's, a, here's something here. So he says the Jews gathered around him. That's a little bit misleading in terms of the interpretation. The, the actual word there means that they encircled him as if to hem him up. So they're gathering around him. They're going to hem him up on, on, on the porch. And they're going to get an answer out of him as to what he's been teaching. This is the idea. This is the picture. So they gather him up and they say, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're Christ, tell us plainly. Now, the answer, Jesus says in verse 25, I did tell you. But you do not believe. You do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name, they speak for me. You saw what I did. Look, you you saw what I I did. Uh, Look, I turned the water into wine. We, we, We healed a lame man. We hit a blind man. I walked on water. You've seen these miracles take place. They speak for me. But you do not believe twice, he said it now. Because you are not my sheep. And boy, to the Jews, Jewish people of that day, was that, a, was that a knife in the heart for the Messiah to say, you're not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. I said, but you're not these people. What's their response? Verse 31. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Which one of these miracles do you want to stone me for? Their response is, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blaspheming because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You see, they didn't misunderstand his message. They knew he claimed to be God. Got it? They saw it. They knew he claimed to be God and still didn't believe in him in spite of everything they'd seen and heard. 
And they said, because you're a mere man who claimed to be God. Now let me ask you, they're accusing him of what? Blasphemy. You know who's blasphemy? People who will call God a mere man. They are the ones committing the blasphemy. They call God a mere man. Can't recognize him for who he is. And Jesus says, is it not written in your law? I love it, by the way. How many times does Jesus keep going back to their own law, their own evidence that they all have read and they all know? Now, this is an interesting text here, this next text. So kind of just hang on with me, okay? Are you with me? I think with me now. He's going to quote a psalm. And it's out of uh, Psalm 82. Here's what he says. I have said, you are gods. Small g, plural. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? So here's basically Jesus' answer and argument. If you go back and look in Psalms 82, I want to just turn there and just read just a little bit of this psalm. Actually, I think I'm going to read the whole psalm. The Bible says, God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the, it's in quotes, small gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You're all sons of the Most High. That's the verse he actually quotes over in John. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. Basically what Jesus says here. Now, there's controversy about when he says the gods. Are they actually angels? Are they spiritual beings? Or are they just the appointed judges over Israel at the time that are not making the right decision, not defending the weak, they're not taking care of the the people? Either way, it doesn't really matter. Because his whole point is, if you'll refer to them as gods and what they didn't do, didn't take care... Oh, but now you're, not, you're going to deny that I claim that I'm God and the Father sent me. You're not, you can't deny the miracles. You can't deny the Word. You, wouldn't, you didn't call that blaspheming back then, but all of a sudden now you're going to say I'm blaspheming. Get it? Jesus says, That the Father and me are one. And my claim through my work and through my word is that I'm from the Father. Their problem was not an intellectual problem. 
Their problem wasn't a weakness I just don't understand. Their problem was they knew who he claimed to be, without a doubt. And yet they had the sin of unbelief in their hearts. And their result was, let's just just stone the guy. Let's stone him. Now, if they're, you think about this. What true religious leader with good heart who found someone who was willing to talk to them and they thought they were wrong, wouldn't you, don't you think the response would be, hey, let's sit down and study? Hey, I don't understand where you are, but look, I want to sit down and share God's word. Won't you think that? No, they're just, they just get upset and mad because they know what he claims and they say, let's throw stones at him. They're willing to throw stones in chapter 8. They were willing to throw stones in chapter 9, and now they're throwing stones again in chapter 10. This lingering group of Pharisees just can't get on board, refuses to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Why then do you accuse me of blaspheming? Because I said I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, Even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And again, verse 39, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. I love it. He uses the same word here, grasp. Jesus escapes their grasp, but guess what? As sheep, when God has a hold of us, his grasp is plenty hard enough. His, his grip is good. Theirs wasn't. They try to get him, but they're unsuccessful. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Here he stayed, and many people came to him. And they said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, which, by the way, is interesting, a great prophet like that, he never performed a miraculous sign. All that John said about this man was true, And in that place, many believed in Jesus. God addressing a group in in Psalm 82, a group of beings, men, angels. If then, he says, if then these terms can be applied to to mortals, how, how could Jesus be accused of blasphemy when he applied them to himself? Because the Father set him apart. The Father said he's mine. And he and the Father are one. I know none of you probably pay attention to the news or are into politics at all. Right? You ever catch yourself, you hear what you think is something... Dumb on TV, which I hear that every day when I, if I listen to it. And you think, when somebody else has the opposite position, you think, I, could, man, I cannot argue that. I got the right answer here. Man, that's crazy. You're going to do that? I can, I can lay that out. And you think your side, you can make all the right. And the problem is, it's not about intelligence. It's not about truth. It's not about being right. Because once you've already decided, regardless of what side of politics you're on, regard, if you already decided who you hate, you never will listen to any information from one side or the other. 
as if they had something to offer. You know who that describes? The Pharisees. Already decided to hate Jesus. And you could heal blind people in front of them. You could raise people from the dead. It's going to happen next chapter. You can make lame men walk again. And they still refuse to believe in Jesus. Because of the hardness of their heart and because their eyes are blind, they can't see who he is and what he's done for them. And it's a sin. It's called the sin of unbelief. And it's why the Hebrew writer writes Hebrews so many times in that he warns people about unbelief. I don't want you walking out of here with with any doubts today. I want to ask the worship team to come up. And as we do here is our tradition. We're going to offer an invitation to pray with people down front. Someone needs to be baptized. This is the time. Uh, Folks that have particular needs. We're forever family. We share everything, right? Regardless of what assembly you're in, whether you're in the worship center or whether you're in the fellowship center or whether you're a live stream audience, I want you to be conscious now with me. Don't jump up and leave the pew here when we're offering an invite. Now, let me tell you why. People, we need each other. You see, when people come down front for prayers, they're struggling. They need to know that this family is behind them. You're needed. And because we are in the grip of grace through Jesus Christ does not mean that we don't have struggles. And it doesn't mean that the wolf doesn't come in and attack us. It doesn't mean that persecution won't happen. matter of fact, Jesus says it will happen if you're in the kingdom of God. So what we can't let ourselves do is go back to this doubting and having this unbelief in Jesus and who He is, what He's done, and how He can hold on to us. Our family need assurance that in your deepest weakness, Jesus Christ holds on to you. In your deepest struggle, He knows you. And He knows that struggle. Every, every bit of it. And He still loves you. And for those that have never become His sheep, for those that have never become a child of God... What kind of a shepherd would you like to have? This is one that laid down his life for you. By the way, John 3.16 says he, he was given his life for God so loved the world, right? That God gave his one and only son. For who? He loved the world. Everybody. The invitation is open to everybody. Not a select few. Everybody. He died for the world. Because he loved us. And it's only my rebellion and unbelieving heart that keeps me away from the shepherd. Don't walk out of here not knowing that you're right with God. I want you to lay your head on your pillow tonight. 
and go to sleep 100% assured. I am right with the shepherd. And you know what? You'll sleep a whole lot better, won't you? God's grip of grace is stronger than any weakness you have. If you need someone to help you in that weakness, that's what our invitation is about. If you need to become a Christian and and, and be baptized into Christ, that's what our invitation is about. It's just one sinner up here, Mike Kellett, that is just as bad of sinfulness as anybody else in this room, offering another one how to find the bread of life. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to get the bread of life. If you want that bread, that's what our invitation is for as we stand and as we sing.